Our reading for today is from John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello, everyone. It's good to see you today. My name is Samuel Jang, and I'm serving as the intern pastor at Graceway for the summer. I'll be preaching in Pastor David's stead. I'll be continuing the sermon series with the second part on worship. Let's begin with a word of prayer. God, our Father, we thank you for the people at Graceway. We thank you for the gift of your spirit, that through it we can rightly be called your children. We thank you that we can share this gift in the preaching of the gospel, the sharing of the gospel message. And we can only do this with the help of your spirit. Help us live worshipful lives due to your spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
Last week, Peter told us how worship is primarily about God. It's not about us. He also told us that we often can show reverence toward God with how we posture our bodies. He gave us suggestions like practicing kneeling in prayer or standing in worship to help us form good worshipful habits. Of course, worship also extends to how, our li- how we live in our everyday lives. Worship is about how our actions in our everyday lives are pleasing to God. Thinking of worship in this way means that there are certain, certain norms to worship, proper ways to live as a Christian who has the Holy Spirit inside of him or her. Christians live a certain way because of what Christ has done and because of what the Spirit now compels us to do. I continue on this theme that our entire lives are an act of worship. And that the proper and new way to worship is in spirit and in truth because of what Christ has done. Of course, this phrase comes from the familiar passage in John 4, when Jesus has an unlikely encounter with a Samaritan woman at the well. So moving forward, I'm going to categorize this interaction in three narrative movements, with the third being the most important. They are as follows. First, who Jesus is, his identity. Second, the gift that Jesus offers. And third, what the Spirit does. What the Spirit does in spirit and in truth. So start with the first category. It's about Jesus's identity, who Jesus is. When Jesus asked the Samaritan woman for a drink, she is shocked. She's scandalized. Her reaction is telling. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus is breaking the social norm of the time. A man does not approach a woman without reason, and a Jew simply does not interact with a Samaritan because there is a historical religious divide between the groups. The most debated issue is that Samaritans believe the proper site of worship is Mount Gerizim, while the Jews held that Jerusalem and the Temple Mount was a correct site of worship. They worship in different places. It gets complicated though, because these two groups, though these two groups were divided on their worship practices, they claimed a common ancestry. You see, the Samaritans claim lineage as descendants of Ephraim and Manasseh, sons of Joseph, and therefore a son of Jacob, the great patriarch. Jews claim lineage to Jacob as well. They share an ancestry, but surely one of them is wrong about the proper and true place of worship. It must be either Mount Gerizim or Jerusalem. So in this story, the conflicting sites of worship are used as what I will call a badge of faith. A badge of faith is a marker of what makes someone a true or correct worshiper. It's like holding up an emblem that represents your piety, your closeness to God. A badge like worshiping in Jerusalem states, I am correct in my worship practices because I worship here. Therefore, I'm a true worshiper and I'm right with God. The place used as a badge indicates piety. 
Nowadays, we still have badges of faith we use to represent a sort of piety. For example, in the Korean church tradition where I grew up, age hierarchy is a kind of badge. On Korean and in Korean cultural custom, there exists an age hierarchy such that a younger individual is, supp is supposed to treat an older individual with respect through gestures like getting food for them, speaking respectfully to them, and generally just treating them well. And a younger person lowers themselves because the elder is due respect. And this is a very good thing. It's something I admire for the most part about Korean culture. Though this age hierarchy bothered me because it was especially intense at church, where those older than you, especially elders and pastors, were essentially inaccessible and looked down on you because you were younger. You couldn't befriend them. It would be hard, if not impossible, to call them your friend. They were on top of the spiritual ladder, so to say. So the issue is not that there's such an age hierarchy. The issue is that the age hierarchy is being used as a badge of faith. This badge is actually arbitrary. Age, in this case, does not necessarily tell you about one's spiritual maturity. And in this case, it can be used to separate people in the church. This social norm can be harmful. This bugged me because I thought Christianity was all about leveling the playing field. That there are no real or at least spiritual hierarchies in the church. All peoples, all classes, cultures, ethnicities are welcome to the table. And age, in this case, is used as a badge of faith in order to divide. But back to our story. Because of the religious and geographical differences, the Jews and Samaritans are hostile toward one another. They do not speak to one another. Upon hearing this, you may be surprised by the Good Samaritan story Jesus tells in Luke. First century readers would have been scandalized by making a Samaritan the hero of the story. But in this story, you may see how the Samaritan woman is justified in calling out Jesus' approach as a strange thing. She does not yet realize who Jesus is, surely a Jew, but the Messiah, offering her a gift she does not yet understand. This brings us to our second point. What Jesus offers is only something he can offer. It's tied to his identity. It's also scandalous. Jesus says to the woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus is essentially saying, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't care about this religious divide you would ask me for a drink. But she doesn't get it yet. She replies, are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? See how here she brings up her ancestry, her connection to Jacob. And of course it's fitting because Jesus and her are chatting it up at the well. Jacob's well is extremely important to the Samaritans. A commenter, Michael, states that the well is a matter of ethnic and religious pride for Samaritans. See how she uses the well as a sort of badge of faith. 
the well for her represents culture and the mark of a true worshiper. But Jesus states that this water he offers is better than the water in Jacob's well. And symbolically, what Jesus has to offer is greater than what the Samaritans have. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And certainly what Jesus means by living water is not that it's literally water, a magical water that hydrates you forever. No. What he means by living water is the spirit of God, which Christ gives, which changes our lives now and forever. This is the gift Christ offers. So what does this gift do? Why is it important for this story and even in our lives now? At this point of the story, the woman professes that Jesus is a prophet, but she still sets up this distinction between Jew and Samaritan. She says, sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you all say the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. She has good reasons to care about this distinction. And she herself brings up the issue which divides Jews and Samaritans, the proper site of worship. Instead of ignoring her comments and concerns, Jesus answers in the most fitting way. That worship will neither be on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, nor on the Temple Mount. That true worship of God is in spirit and in truth. True worship and worshipers will not be defined by Sychar or Jerusalem. It will not be marked by geography, ethnicity, or culture. People and their worship will be marked by a new way of living, a new way of worship by spirit and truth. Well, what does this mean? Well, worshiping in the spirit means that the badge of faith is no longer about ethnic, cultural, or religious markers such as Jerusalem or Jerusalem. And it's not that Jesus is advocating for some anti-institutionalism or placelessness. That's not the point. The point is that all social, religious, and ethnic barriers religious people use as badges of faith are done away. They do not matter anymore. They don't have religious significance in the same way. Jewish people can no longer claim to be true worshipers, truly pious, simply because they worship at the temple. Samaritans cannot use a similar strategy by claiming Jerusalem and Jacob's well as their own. Older individuals cannot be granted piety simply because they're older. The spirit breaks these hierarchies, these badges as they are used conventionally. Because now the badge of faith is the spirit. It is Christ's gift, the Holy Spirit, living water, a spring of water gushing up to eternal life, which is the badge of faith. Worshiping in the spirit means that no other markers, social, ethnic, cultural, can be used as a badge to divide. 
Instead, the Holy Spirit inside of us is the marker and seal of faith. Ephesians 1, 13-14 states, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. And likewise, 2 Corinthians 5, 5, He who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit, the Spirit as a guarantee. The Holy Spirit is given to us by the Father and the Son. We receive the Spirit because of Christ's death on the cross. We then follow Christ in obedience with the Spirit's help. But we can only be Christ-like because of the Spirit and its reception. Because of Christ's work, all peoples are welcome to the table. Jew, Gentile, Samaritan. And now we worship in one spirit, under one God, in Jesus Christ. Now, once we have the spirit, it requires us to live differently. It requires us to live new, worshipful lives. We are liberated from badges and are under the one spirit, the one God. You move on to this point. What does it mean to worship in truth when we are unified by the one spirit? When you hear the word truth, you may be inclined to think about knowledge, what we find to be factually correct or incorrect. And this is the case for worship as well. Jesus remarks to the Samaritan, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. It's not that the Spirit washes away ethnicity as if they don't matter. Of course they matter. The Jews know and identify the proper object of worship. They have historical priority as God's people. As Christians, we know and worship our God. Truthful worship. We worship the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as a proper object of worship. This God is worthy of our praise. And this God, because of who he is, requires new ways of living, a new way of life. Worshiping in truth involves correct, proper, or truthful actions. Christians live differently because of who our God is and what he now commands. God cares for the downcast, the orphan, the widow, generally those on the margin, and he commands us to do the same. One way of worshiping in truth has been referenced many times at Graceway recently. It's as simple as loving your neighbor, being the good Samaritan. This new way of life often requires loving someone when it is not convenient. Similarly, living a life in truth requires correction and self-critique. For those of you who are Korean, perhaps the age hierarchy example I told resonates with you. Perhaps you're negotiating ways to uh, take good things from your culture and reject bad things as well. With the Spirit's help, we're able to do this in all aspects of our lives. It will, we're able to name and correct harmful ways of living that we've learned that become habits. In self-critique, 
we're able to confess areas in which we have fallen short as Christians. Areas where we have not loved our neighbors. Areas, excuse me, where we do not rightly worship in spirit and truth. As many of you know, Christians are not without blame. We participate in in unjust systems as complicit bystanders or even as active participants in great evil. Many young folk leave the church today because they're frustrated with the church's lack of response. You've heard this before. But addressing evil and evils is a type of worship we are called to do. Initiated by the Spirit, we live a life investigating badges of faith used in the church or really examining any sort of dividing symbol or emblem, any sort of injustice we see in our lives as dual citizens of earth and of heaven. Living a life of worship in spirit and in truth extends to our whole lives. How we are to live pleasing lives to God wherever we are and whatever we do. In an attempt to love our neighbor and practicing correction and self-critique, perhaps many of us have started paying more attention to race and racism in America. This is a mark of living a new kind of life in spirit and truth. Being attentive to correction, self-critique, finding the best ways to love our neighbor as Christians. A new way of life requires joining in with the Spirit's work and acting truthfully, correctly, properly. We need to ask, how are we to respond as Christians, mostly Asian American, in our specific social and cultural circumstance? How have we been victims? How have we been complicit to injustice as well? Christ gave us the Holy Spirit so we do not enter into this kind of work or questioning alone. In fact, Christians can't do any such work without the Spirit's guidance. This work is initiated by the Spirit, which allows for self-critique, correction, and now neighborly love. None of us are without blame. but That doesn't mean we can't do anything. The Spirit allows us to enter into a new life so that we can be good neighbors to others. We follow in the Spirit so that we can become more like Jesus Christ, so that we can become more Christ-like. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you that you do not leave us alone to our own devices but that you sent your spirit to guide us. We thank you that the spirit, living water, gushing up to eternal life, is offered. It's offered to us. And now once we receive it, we're allowed to join in with your work. We now pray the way our Lord has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.